Hola, and welcome to Word to Your Mama. Word to Your Mama is a podcast about the life of a Latina creative, that's me, and the lives of my amazing multicultural tribe, a celebration of shared experiences navigating this dynamic world. There will be special guests, mad laughs, and absolutely no BS. Segments by the Supernatural Bear, that's my little man, he's 10 going on 40 because he's an old soul, but other than that, this podcast will be explicit. Please believe it. Now, why do I have a wide range of peeps on here? It's because I come from the music, art, and Web3 industries. Word to Your Mama comes out every Monday. Welcome to episode 124. Today, we're getting an update, an update from an episode that we had back in October of 2020. It was with Colony Little and Yvonne Gallardo, the future of BIPOC disabled and LGBTQIA plus artists. So, you know, we've been wanting to have them on for a while. So we finally made it happen. So we get an update on how things have changed since we first met. Um, and then we talk about our artists today currently being supported are the systems and institutions in that are in place are they healthy and are they sustainable um you know we get into all of that because colony little is a freelance arts writer ivan gallardo is a senior program director she works in the realm of arts and culture so it's a perfect time to see what, if anything, has improved and what has regressed in the last three years? And then we get into, you know, a little bit lighter and not so lighter items where we talk about Tio Pas uh, Pedro Pascal. And then we talk about De La Soul, the impact of De La Soul, hip hop in general, and the passing of True Goy. And it was great to catch up with these ladies. I mean, I talked to them pretty much on the reg as we, you know, navigate this live texting about the going ons of this crazy world. Right. Uh, and especially when it comes to music and, and, and arts and pop culture and beyond. So I hope you guys enjoy. And then after that, we have a supernatural bear corner that we're just going to, uh, he needed a break. He told me he needed a break and, and uh, you know, I, I don't run a sweatshop here. So we're going to have, uh, you know, a replay of, of one of the fan favorites in the Supernatural Bear Corner. So let's get into it. And here we go. OK, here it is. Here it is. All right, ladies. What are we talking about? It's the update. Let's let the folks know it's the update. So today is the update with Colony Little. And Ivan Gallardo. And Welcome last time down. you guys were here, you guys were here individually since then. But the first time mm -hmm. I had you on and what we're discussing, part of what we're discussing today was October 2020. How long ago does that feel? <laughs> October I, I 2020. I cannot believe it. Oh, so much has changed. So That was in That's the like thick three of lifetimes ago. Exactly. That was in the thick of the pandemic. I had just started. You were episode seven, ladies. It was episode seven, uh, the future for BIPOC disabled and LGBTQ plus artists. That's what it was. In the thick of it, we were going through so much stuff. It was right before the elections. Uh -huh. Think of the pandemic. I mean, anxiety was high. 
And and the little gist, this was before I used to put more into the into what the episode was about, but it says in this episode we discussed the current state of the arts, what the future looks like for BIPOC disabled and LGBTQ plus artists. Mm. Um you know, and I talk about how amazing to have you guys, how, you know, you guys are gems, da, 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 da. But I mean, we covered a lot of stuff. A lot of fucking shit was happening. Wow. So you know what? I was get tired. In- That's what I remember. I was <laughs> yeah. tired in October of 2020. <laughs> Please believe it. We were okay, exhausted. Listen, I'm still tired. So. Please. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Facts. So, don't change for me. Facts. So <laughs> let's, before we get into the thick of it. How are you guys doing? Let's start with Colony. How are you doing? How have you been? Well, beyond being tired, and really I'm only tired because of the time change. I, I don't know <laughs> if it's just me, but I just can't get used to it. Um, but I'm doing I'm doing good. Um, I'm really excited to catch up with you both, um, to talk about art, talk about what's going on in the world, talk about what's going on in our lives. It's, you know, the two of you during the pandemic uh, were such a light to me and continue to be. So, you know, I, I have like my family and then I have a virtual crew and virtual family and you two are a part of it. And I just want to thank you for, for being the people that you are. You're inspiring, uplifting, great sense of humor you keep me laughing so right back at you you i live for your tweets colony i live for your tweets it's very kind colony yeah Um, thank you yvonne how are you doing have you been i feel like daenerys targaryen right now coming out of the flames (laughs) with her dragon (laughs) eggs um I mean, the past three years, for real, um, have been like a trial by fire for me. When we think about um, those life moments where things are kind of just pulled out of your life or, you know, removed um, for for no rhyme or reason, like that's what's been slowly and then quickly happening for me over the past three years. Um I just wish, like, I'm too old for all the drama. Like, I wish it wasn't so dramatic, but it is. And um, I think I'm at a place where I feel raw and vulnerable, but, Mm. like, I'm standing. And I got my dragon eggs. That's right. Like, and we don't know where we're going yet, but the power is there. And I don't even know, like, the extent to which that power... (laughs) Is is in right? I don't even know the extent of the power yet, but I feel like I'm standing and I'm grateful. So yeah, not to get all deep and spiritual right in the five, no. first five minutes minutes <laughs> of our time together. But you asked how I was, and that's the truth. <laughs> that's all I ask. That's all I ever ask in these convos is for the truth. So thank you, ladies, yes. um, Colin and Yvonne, for sure. I feel the same way. You know, like you said, Colony, lifesavers, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, especially during the thick of it. Um, And it's hard to be like, oh, yeah, that was just, I, you know, just in 2021. That was two years ago. (laughs) 2022, three years ago. Like, it's crazy. So, you know, we've had it. We've been wanting to do this for a while. Schedules, life, da, 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 da. 
I'm gonna let you guys lead. Like, let's let's talk about it. Like, what is the update on the issues that we talked about? Where are we at now? And let's just go from there. Start it off, ladies. Yeah. Whoever wants to go first. Yeah. Well, one of the things that um, that we didn't talk about um, in the midst of the pandemic in the fall when we talked was right at the tail end of folks taking to the streets and protesting. Um, we lost so many people at this point, the list is far too long and from George Floyd. And so I think that we were at a point where we were looking to in the art sector, for example, we were looking to institutions mm-hmm. and artists to seize this moment and create some type of meaningful change. And I think the fact that we're meeting right now is really interesting because now we're looking at those institutions and seeing whether or not they really fulfill the promises that they made. And, you know, if we talk about kind of what's going on in the corporate sector and technology, I mean, that whole, the Silicon Valley bank debacle on Friday and the, um, with that, do you guys see the wall street journal op-ed where someone, uh, thought posited that the bank collapse may have been because leaders were distracted, focusing on diversity and inclusion. Oh and, my God. I mean, so it's like the scapegoating has begun. The priorities have now changed. You know, it's, we've got to now focus on the economy and profits and now equity and, and inclusion are not um, the, the priorities. And so we're seeing this really slow shift back to the status quo. And it's, it's creeping in in so many areas. If we talk about politics and talk about education and book bans and, you know, the fight for bodily autonomy. There are so many issues that are now coming to a head because the pendulum has, has swung back. It's almost like we should be expecting this, but we always end up, you know, scratching our heads wondering, well, how did, how did we get here? Um, so, you know, we're circling back to the arts right now. Uh, I think that for artists, this is a really unique time for artists to step up and be the voice for others who feel like they have no voice are being silenced. They're being erased. Um, And so I think that art continues to be not only a vehicle for change, but a voice for the unheard. And so I think it's just a really important time for artists. Now, when it comes to the museums and the structures that support them. I think that that's, that's where some really important change needs to continue to take place. Um, and I know Yvonne, we've kind of had side conversations about it. I know you've done that. That's like the core of your work, but those are some of the things that I'm thinking about right now is, um, you know, we've made these pushes to, um, diversify boards and museums, diversify staff. How, what are we doing to 
sustain that moving forward? And how are we changing the structures? Because there are just inherent problems in the structures that still need to be contended with that a diverse staff isn't necessarily going to solve, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. And what kind of, well, just to touch bases on what you were saying before we go to Yvonne, Colony, uh-huh. full-blown, like, regression. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, did you guys see, uh, I forgot what state I just posted. And I was like, why do y'all hate us? Like, the death penalty for abortion? Like, how, how are we, reg- how much are we regressing? <laughs> like, the the banning of book like was this the fifth the nineteen fifty like what is right. happening like it is it is crazy um and, and so Yvonne you know things have changed for both of you like Colony you're on the board you're for um the Raleigh Museum of Contemporary Art is that Contemporary what? Art Museum yes mm. um and then Yvonne you're with a, a new organization a new role tell us about that and how you know the update from what we talked about and where we're at now. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's still on the board of National Association of Latino Arts and Cultures, NALAC, my beloved NALAC. Um, but I uh, just started a new position in November with an organization here based here in Los Angeles called Community Partners. It works across um, sectors to provide fiscal sponsorship, but also intermediary services. And what that means basically is we help government and private funds with a lot of money get money to the people and the organizations that are doing the work on the ground, right? So like not just kind of coming in as a foundation and creating guidelines and saying whoever wants to apply and then it's the same old, same old (laughs) folks that are in system. So it's very um, grounded in equity. Um, And so I am leading two of those re-granting, a couple of re-granting efforts focused on arts and culture, um, relief and recovery, um, funds for arts organizations and institutions. And then um, what we're talking about here and what Colony brought up as an opportunity um, in the moment that we find ourselves in it, but how do artists... Um, how do we remind ourselves, because this is not new, <laughs> about the how essential artists are across the board, including in the social justice issues, right? The issues around change and equity and, um, um, and, and just that overall holistic health of a society and, and community. How are artists central to that and how can they amplify messages and or even be a source of how change is created in different culturally relevant ways. Um, oh. And so I, I've been, you know, in kind of the practice of it, not the, the, cons- the, the theoretical thinking, which I did for eight years as a consultant, all right, with various institutions and organizations around diversity, equity, inclusion, cultural equity, um, and um, the intersections of life and arts and culture. Um, so I'm really grounded in the mechanics and the experimentation of how this works and how it may not work and being okay with how it may not work as long as we're moving towards that same North, North Star, right? Like because it, it sometimes it has to be a series of experimentations. But to your point 
um, just to speak to your point, Ritzy, about like it feels worse or like what, how the heck do we end up here after just, you know, a year ago kind of feeling or even two years ago, like feeling things might change. I don't know. It feels like to use a bad, really bad metaphor. It's like when you're on one of those really bad diets and then you mm. lose weight and then your body is like goes into starvation mode and then gains the weight back on and then gains even more weight back. I mean, that's a really bad metaphor. But one that comes to me um, right now as we discuss where we're at, um, it, it, it feels like we moved the, moved the conversation in a direction and then everything, the forces that be, capitalism, status quo, white supremacy, Western right. approaches to old problems um, has just cat, oh. like it's just pushed it. Um, it's 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 almost like a boomerang that has even more momentum and strength coming back to us. Um, I think that one of uh, as we were doing exploring diversity, equity and inclusion, uh, you know, really intentionally and in, a, in perhaps a different way two years ago, um, I think all of us were cynical, like all of us who've been doing this work for a long time, we were cynical and hopeful. We can be two, we can be both of those things at the same time. And I saw as a consultant, I saw a lot of old ways being re-implemented, ways that we knew did not work mm. in the past. Mm. It was it, they, it was called something different. It was called multiculturalism. It was mm. called whatever, but it it did not work. It did not move to to Colony's point. It did not address power. It did not address power. It I it addressed identity politics, um, mm. but it did not yeah. address power and the importance of um, and the need for right for us to consider um, the intersectionality of class. Um, as well as capitalism and all of that. And that goes to the heart of institutions, right? Like why institutions are built, how they keep going and what they uphold. Um, oh, wow. So those are just like things I'm thinking about. And I'm also understanding that institutions and things we've built don't just get toppled, right? I mean, they could, yeah. <laughs> but, but they don't just, right, in... in, in um, and how change happens. It doesn't happen so dramatically. But I will say that we are being we are being asked to focus on how well and healthy these systems we've built are or not. And and that's what I've also been focused on a lot. This idea of wellness in a very broader conceptual sense. Um, are our systems healthy? Are we healthy? Um, is what we're creating sustainable? Um, so there's a lot underneath those questions, <laughs> but I feel both like both of what you've said in our, in the arts and culture world, we, it feels like we're back and even at a worse, like to, to kind of a, a, a worse level, even though we've had different conversations. Um, and I feel some of the solutions that were implemented by institutions themselves were hiring a DEI officer 
Hi, right? I forget. I have not read this article yet, but there was an article, I think, in Hyperallergic. Yeah. Titled, like, I I was the DEI hire, or I was, right? Like, it was a person, a a Black woman speaking about her experience being hired during this time and what that meant. I'm looking forward to reading that because there was a lot of that going on. There was a lot of banning. Like throwing uh-huh. work in someone else's, um, right? In someone on someone else, um, yeah. and usually it's on black and brown women, from exactly. what I've been seeing, with no uh-huh. real power in the room, uh-huh. no real power in the room, and yeah, and no way to implement. I think it goes to like implementation as well. Let me know if if you feel the same way because it seemed like it was a a buzzword of the moment because everyone was in their feelings of where we were at. And then when it went back because of capitalism and all these different things, like everyone's going back into the motions of stuff. It was like, oh, let's just do this hire, this one hire of this one person doesn't have any power that is really not changing, but on paper it looks good. Right. But Mm -hmm. what is the implementation of, of, of the actual like processes, like to, to try to make change in these institutions. And I had a conversation Mm -hmm. Uh, a private conversation, but I will talk about what was said. It was someone that wrote, one of the people that wrote uh, on, on the film side of art, uh, one of the authors of The Inclusion Writer, right? The Inclusion Writer for all the different mm-hmm. sets that, you know. Yeah. And I was like, this is amazing. So awesome to meet you, blah, 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 blah. Um, how was that going? And it was People say that they're using it, but they're not using it. And it was created so that there were steps and check-ins along the way to make sure you were doing the things. It wasn't like, oh, we got it. Let's use it. We got one person of color done. It was, it was, no, this is the, 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 the check-ins that like, like to your point, Yvonne, how healthy is this system? It's a system. (laughs) It's implementation. It's, it's. It, it's a it's a it's a schedule it's and she was like people are saying they're using it, but no one's you we she's like we created a whole system to mm-hmm. help you do the check-ins for, to, mm-hmm. to you know to to make sure it's healthy and then we could see from there what needs to be changed but no one's mm-hmm. doing it they're just like using it <laughs> and that's it and no one checks beyond yeah. that yeah. You have to get you have to get leaders in it on on board who understand that change is needed and also understand that it that there are incremental steps here. Yeah. It's not about blowing up a system and and starting over, but there has to be a commitment to sustainable change. And I think that one of the things that has changed, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. And one of the things that has changed here in, in our very small cultural sector is um, in the wake of 2020, when museums were completely shut down because of the pandemic and um, institutions were trying to figure out who are we going to be? We've had three art spaces, non-collecting museums and and artist collectives that have hired Black women and uh, one Black male. So at 
the Contemporary Art Museum, we hired a new director who has uh, overhauled the staff, um, created new relationships with HBCUs, created an artist support mechanism so that when an artist shows at the museum, that there's life beyond the exhibition, that they're showing in other places, that they're getting support outside of that. Um, there's a, another um, group called uh, Art Space, which is an artist-run um, art collective that's right down the street from the museum. It's a bunch of studio spaces. Um, they're a pipeline not only to the museum, but they create, they provide the, the studio space. They have uh, a right. residency for HBCU artists. So, and one of the things that I, I met with um, the woman who um, was recently appointed as executive director there, one of the things that's changed because of the pandemic is funding, because the philanthropic funding has has dried up. So again, out of a, a crisis or a challenge becomes an opportunity. If that funding isn't there, then what, what are other ways that we can kind of share resources as opposed to competing for what mm. little resources are out there. Right. So one of the things that, um, that, that they're looking to are, are finding ways to partner in a, in a better way. Um, so that, you know, one exhibition in one space, there could be like a, a satellite exhibition or something where there, there's a conversation among mm. institutions taking place as opposed to a competition. Um, so those are just little things, but they, they add up and they mean a lot. And I think that to the extent that we take some of that power away from the donors that mm. dictate who gets shown that, you know, dictate who gets put on and who has a voice. Um, those are some of the, the, the small incremental changes that I see that need to take place. And that doesn't mean that, you know, this isn't something that happens overnight because I yeah. still see just from my vantage point sitting on the board, us collectively still falling into the traps of, you know, which relationships do we have to, you know, yeah. to build. And I was j- just the other day asking about, okay, well, what's our prospect list for corporate donors? And it's like, okay, we have to not like fall into that trap. We have to find, you know, creative ways to, um, to build each other up. And there's a blueprint for that. I mean, I've been, I was doing some research on the black arts movement of the 1970s, 60s and 70s in Los Angeles. Um, The black arts movement really came out of uh, New York and was really focused on in literary circles, but there was a visual art component in LA that was really strong and it all catalyzed after Watts in 65. And um, the, uh, Watts Arts Towers, and the, there was a writer's workshop, there were theater productions, there, I mean, there were all of these different collectives, music, orchestra, all of these different pockets of artists that came together um, with, with some funding and, and some support, but it was all grassroots and community-based, and they all fed off of each other. It wasn't like everyone was siloed, they were working together. So it's been done and we just, we have to tap back into some of that spirit, but also recognize that the landscape has changed. So it's just a matter of kind of how are we tweaking that um, to, to meet the needs that we have today. 
Yeah, Connie, that's such a good point because I have noticed um, in the various consulting relationships I've had, um, large institutions, if we talk about culture broadly, right, the philanthropic culture in large arts and culture institutions is still very focused on the in wealthy individual, right? Wealthful. How do we engage wealthy individuals as we have diversified the field to the extent that we have within large institutions? Um, there is a meeting, right? There is a, I don't want to say a conflict, but there is a meeting of two different sets of values, right? The folks that come from that kind of privileged yeah. right background of the individual being able to give millions of dollars to an institution over their lifetime and perhaps bequest something right uh -huh. at the end of their life against this kind of collective mutual benefit driven value model that comes from many of our communities and from the past and from the present and the sustainability question comes into play with regard to these institutions about how many more wealthy individuals are you going to be able to recruit <laughs> to sustain uh -huh. your philanthropic model. Yeah. And just like technology, the unwillingness to invest, right? It, it's not an either or proposition. It's how can we work both of this, of the yeah. sets of, uh, resources that we have available to us, but the refusal to invest in the long term, right? As you spoke, Ritzy, it's not about a like, here's your medicine, take it and you're all better. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's an iterative it process that happens over a yeah. long period of time, just like culture shifts happen, right? Um, mm -hmm. And yet institutions continue to refuse to invest what's necessary money, time, people into that, integrating those types of value model. Um, just like tech, they're, they're refusing to integrate technology, investment in people in technology because now we don't have, we're not stay at home anymore. All, even yeah. though in huh. California, we have known that younger people are taking in their arts and culture experiences on handheld devices through technology more than in-person experiences. Yeah. This we knew this before the, the lockdown. Why are institutions refusing and and organizations, not just institutions, yeah, refusing to continue that investment, right, and content online? Um, I, I don't know. We we, we know yeah. what's good for us, and yet we're not doing what's good for us. Uh, so it's it's a challenge there. Yeah, and I could see it as like a a financial fear, right? Like well, we've been doing this for this long and we got to, you know, grease these wheels with these rich, rich people, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, like, like Colin, you said, like what's happening that you've seen as being a board member. I love that. Like, I feel like last year the buzzword was community and this year since the beginning, like I've been talking with different people in different, you know, sectors, uh, you know, web two, web three, da, 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 da. It's, it's collaboration. Like that's the way we right. survive, right? Because we're the right. financial shit's all over the place. You know, uh, it's collaboration. So I love that, that there's those, some good things have come out, right? And I'm hoping that that, you know, it spreads. 
And then another thing that I saw in September, I went to a Latitude conference, uh, like a Latino business thing. It was arts and everything, too. And what I saw was very encouraging and inspiring. I went to uh, the rooms where people would pitch ideas all day and then someone would win. But it was of color. Right. Uh, And I love that. And but what they also talk to is uh, uh, VCs, investors, but of color, mm. women, mm. women of color, men, men of color. And and they got to do the little spiel because, you know, they were going to fund some of these projects. And I'm hoping what I saw there sets a precedent because it's in the business sector, right? It's in tech that it can go and, and flow. So they were like. He was real. He was great. He was Japanese. And he was talking about, you know, his his grandpa, his parents were in the internment camps. He's like, Hmm. I'm not too far from removed from the BS. He's like, Hmm. so now I'm in charge of this big fund and it's for Hmm. marginalized community women and marginalized communities. He's like, but he's like, but I'm not here to 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 mess around with those. He's like, I look at your board. And if you just got one person, one woman, one person of color, that's not it. Yeah. And I think I think this goes into whether it's in this sector and all sectors. I think there's incremental change that has to happen on a community level and all this stuff, but also getting people, our people into positions of power like homeboy, where he's like checking it. Nope, I'm falling for the one person (laughs) because you put him on there right before you pitched. No, well, hold on. Like, you know, he's like, I want to see that what's the long term? Like, are you really about it? And I feel like that was encouraging because it's like people in position of power that have the funds, that have the money, that make those decisions are looking to see, are they going to fund, you know, one, she's this dope uh, Latina born and raised in South Central, charge of this huge fund. And what she does is she invests in uh, uh U.S. and Latin America uh, startups that that they're they're whatever they're building is community based. Do you know, Uh so like stuff like Uh that is encouraging. And I'm hoping that with the collaboration, you know, revisiting, like you said, Colony, like what has worked in the past that could still work now, maybe tweaked a little bit, you know, and and Yvonne, you know, you're saying like, you know, the, the I think that's very important. The health of such systems, right? The this, health. Yeah, and the sustainability of it. The sustainability. I, mean, I, I don't want to go too down, you know, one of the things that I thought, I th- one of the things that was a lost opportunity, I think, in the DEI conversation was the um, uh, ignoring and or just tiptoeing around, right, capitalism and its role in the creation of systems, institutions, and just the way we live our lives. Um, but the sustainability of this, um, of, of how we move forward together in a healthy way, um, these, these are not new ideas, right? Like the right. idea of the, the venture funds and um, the, uh, how artists and collectives worked as a result of being excluded from large institutions, like Colony was mentioning, um, the idea that I'm not good unless you're good being put into practice, that's that's Fannie Lou Hamer. That's not yeah. new, right? The uh, the the practices of um, w- which I have been like telling uh, community based organizations, arts organizations for so long, like, let's experiment with this. The idea of the tanda right in our community, 
how do we recreate tandas for the benefit of artists, communities? And there are models that have been created over the past three years that reflect that, right? You, you, you go into a, a, a fund, right? People put into a fund together and then that fund is shared. Everyone takes their turn, right? And, oh, and yeah. takes the money from that pot. And then, right, the next person gets it the following month or et cetera, et cetera, right? Artists have created um, uh, models um, recently to support themselves in that way. So well, everything we need, we have. It's, I think, um, you know, how do we see all of this, all of these ideas, all of these institution systems as tools, right? M maybe it's not this is the right one. Right. Or maybe this isn't working for us now, but let's move to this one. And maybe this one will not work for us for a, a while, but we can try it out. Let's let's work with the tools that we have and let's put to rest the tools that we know are not working that require inequity in order for them to right even operate in the first place. Right. Like let's. Cool. And I also know at the individual level, it was lovely to um to interact and exchange with an artist who has committed themselves to only operating on a barter, right? As much mm. as possible in a barter, like their own lives, mm. right? To wow. say, um, uh, instead of Venmoing you, can I trade you something, mm. right? Like mm -hmm. modeling that at the individual level and making us think about how would our systems, our communities be if we operated in this way? So I think um, I think that um, there are we have been saying for so long at um, that community be, community based arts organizations and efforts are models for the directions we need to be going at, in as a field. There's been research papers written on it um, about how CB you know community based arts organizations, culturally specific arts organizations, are the model for our field. And yet I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. <laughs> we're not yeah. there yet. Uh, I think they're picking up some of those ways. Uh, uh, institutions are picking up some of those ways, but we're still not there yet. Um, I think for the artist, however, this is both um, a, a, a unique time, especially for Black um, for Black, Indigenous, um, Latinx, and API artists, like we've not been in this, you know, artists have not been in this moment or at this intersection of considerations and life experiences like we've, we're, we've been in now. And um, I find both a pressure, like uh, there's feelings of pressure of reality of life and yeah. the possibilities that I hear a lot spoken a lot through the lens of collaboration, community, cooperation. Um, so I, I don't know. I feel like there there probably is a lot being made, but I feel like there's some ideation, ideation. a lot of ideation yeah. happening right now at the artist level. Um, and I'm excited for that. I'm really excited to see what comes out of that. So, which, like, uh, Colin, you posed a, a good question when we were, you know, going back and forth on what we were going to be discussing. Are artists more or less supported at this present moment? Mm -hmm. 
Do you want to support original content that supports diverse voices? Why not support Word to Your Mama? You're listening to it right now. Become a patron. Head over to patreon.com slash WTYM. There are four patron levels to choose from, including Good Looking Out, I'm Down, Hell Yeah, and Please Believe It. Benefits include patron shoutouts, exclusive patron-only content, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash WTYM to take your support to the next level. Gracias. Many of us have heard of the devastating passing of Hurricane Fiona through Puerto Rico, but not many of us know of ways, or better yet, trustworthy ways to help and contribute to those in need. Fiona a Través de los Ojos de los Niños is an NFT project featuring art made by children of the nonprofit school Flor de Loto in Ponce, Puerto Rico. Through their drawings, they've expressed their feelings and fears which they went through the hurricane. You can help these children, their school, families, and communities by minting one of their NFTs at helppr.xyz. You can also help by sending crypto directly to their wallet listed on the website or do a donation through PayPal. The links can be found in the description. And to learn more about this initiative and how you can help, please visit helppr.xyz or via Twitter at helpprflm. Do you think? Hmm. That is a really good question. I think that I I want to say that they're unfortunately less supported. Um, and I'm the reason why I'm saying that is because I don't think that artists are given the space to find the community and the healing that they need in order to continue to create. So I, I'm speaking somewhat selfishly in this, and I, and I want to take this as an opportunity to speak to artists about what they can potentially do differently. Um, last year, I was um, part of a, a writer's workshop And I was on a panel discussion and we were talking about just the practice of writing. And uh, one of the participants asked me about, you know, well, how do you network and collaborate with other writers? And I sat there and was like, writing is a very solitary activity, you know, I, and, and that's one of the reasons why I gravitated to it. I worked in the corporate sector for 20 years I'm relishing this time of, you know, of being alone and being alone with my thoughts and writing and working with an editor and having that tight relationship. But beyond that, I was like, I'm not part of any writers groups or collectives where we're sharing ideas and talking. And, and, uh, as a result of that, I, I had one of these like kind of like aha moments where I was like, Oh, I, you know, you can't work in a vacuum and think that you're taking good care of yourself. You have to be surrounded by people who understand what you're doing, people who can give you honest feedback, constructive criticism, uh, and can also hype you up when you need to be hyped up. So um, it was at that point, um, someone in the group invited me into their writing circle. And so now I have a a group of um, of women who are supportive and we all work on very different things. 
and have we're at very different stages in our careers. Um, but just having that support system is helpful. Artists need yeah. that. And so um I and and I know that through networking and things like that, they find a way, but it's like you have to actively seek it and you have to think about how you're going to show up for other people. So I think first and foremost, like having a group of people who have your back is extremely important. And it's really important for artists who are on the verge of, you know, breaking through and, you know, trying to, you know, find an agent or find a gallery and, you know, understanding how their contracts work and making sure that they're getting the right legal support and all that. There's just that kind of support mechanism is really needed. And I, and it's not, I don't see it, um, in a, a structured way. Um, I, there was at art space, which is the um, group that I mentioned a few minutes ago. Um, we had this like impromptu, I just showed up to their space for an impromptu screening of Titus Catfar's um, documentary called Shut Up and Paint. I'll send you a link yes, to please. it, Ritzy. It was mm. you know, on the short list for um, best documentary. It didn't get the nomination. I was really upset. But it was all about this point in his career where he where there's this expectation that he create and the expectations weren't necessarily like matching with where he, where he was mentally. And Mm. so like, you have to make the decision, do I produce because those are the demands of this gallery that just signed me? Um, And do I just create, create, create based on the demand? And is that work still good? Is it as good as the work that I created when I was hungry and always, you know, gave a damn about what I was doing. So, and that's, that's something that I think anyone who um, kind of languished in obscurity and then becomes hyper visible because of success, that's what they have to contend with, regardless of if they're music, acting, yeah. whatever. Um, so those support net mechanisms are vitally important and it begins kind of just on the grassroots level. Yeah. And one of the things that I always say, um, like at CAM that I want to see are, you know, artist salons where you have discussions among artists about the things that, that they're dealing with. And it's kind of like a kitchen table conversation. Yeah. It's not a big, you know, to do, uh, zoom meeting <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but we had, a, we had a panel discussion that I moderated at the museum last year when we talked about that. And I was like, okay, let's, how can we continue to have those conversations? And those are the types of spaces that I want to find myself yeah. in and, uh, you know, want to support. So that's, that's what I'm looking to, to do in, in my corner of the world. Love that. And what about you, Yvonne? Do you feel, are they more or less supported in your view and your experience? recently I think when we talk about effective and sustainable like systems uh, I think there they there are some that are supported and there are a whole lot that are not 
Um, and I mean, like, it, it, the, the stuff that was working towards kind of where we needed to go, whether it's funding or institutions, um, opportunities, like, I feel like they've gotten better at meeting the artist's needs. Like, for example, one of the projects I'm working on, like, I remember artist grants or fellowships, like, it was project-based. Make a proposal about a project you want to do, and at the end of it, you have to produce mm -hmm. that as a part of this support. Now it's like, here's a year-long equivalent of a salary, right? It, it, some are even giving health benefits for a year. And here's some money for a project, right? Like with, with no, like, you know, you don't, you're not tied to like a specific outcome. Mm -hmm. Like we didn't have that <laughs> in, in the funding field before. So again, those who are doing the work intentionally and, and doing good work have only gotten better at understanding mm. how artists need to be supported. But that's a small, small portion of artist support. I think that the number of artists in this country has grown exponentially with the growth of art schools that happened, right, in the late 90s through the 2000s, right? There are so many more artists. Um, and um, I don't believe from what I have observed and the conversations I have, I think there are a lot of artists that feel alone. Yeah. Um, and when I have conversations, whether it's about not getting a partnership they wanted, right, whether it was a gallery or grant or whatever, um, I always say, go be, you know, go wherever you got to find a group of artists, just go, go there, work you know, and we have organizations, thank goodness, like self-help graphics and art, right? Where Absolutely. artists can go and be with each yeah. other and yeah. talk and do collaborative projects. Even if you're an artist that has been working, you know, alone in your studio yeah. for however long, like you have that place, like, and encouraging artists to go and be with other artists, right? As a means for inspiration, for hope, for love, for understanding, um, but I just, I, I do think that there, um, I don't think this, this, I think we need to see more modeling of other examples, past pre and present, yeah. other examples of what success looks like, right? Of what feeling good, fe feeling taken care of looks like for an artist, Um and Colony, that time period, right, in Los Angeles was so, sorry, was so very much that. Um, it, it was about community. It was about intercultural collaboration, too. It wasn't Absolutely. just right here. It was, let's reach out to the folks um, in, you know, um, in other parts of our region mm -hmm. that are going through the same thing. Um, and that's a beautiful model. We need to see more of what like that type of support, um, looks like and is lived through, I think. Um, but through the, the standard institutional model, funding model that we see before us, there are only going to be a few, just like our 
economic system, yeah. right? There's a few that get supported yeah. and the rest got to figure it out on their own, unfortunately. So how can we create um, uh, micro, micro support structures um, everywhere yeah. for our creatives? Um, I wish um, uh, we had legislation that required every space in our society to have a poet on staff. Like, I uh -huh. wish, like, that that was a requirement because that's where I think um, ideas, limitations, solutions can be, uh, you know, informed for the better and also bad approaches <laughs> to to problems can be interrupted. Um, so just, you know, I, 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 there's many, many ways to support artists, but there... The, the fact is there are there are so many more of them, at least in, in our midst, than there has been I, I, when I first started out in the arts and culture field. Certainly Black, Indigenous, Latinx, and AAPI artists, for sure. Um, yeah, it's... It, A lot of work. I want to give yeah. every artist like an endless supply <laughs> of feel good support and and real life support. Um, that's what I. What, that's why I do this work, yeah. right? That's why I'm in the work that I am is for the artist. Um, but it's it's a hard question when we're living within a system that is limited and inequitable and informs all other microsystems that we work in. So it's tough. And and also we know we've worked outside those systems for centuries. So let's get to it. Well, part of it is is uh, encouraging the artists themselves that you can be a catalyst for change. Okay, you don't, you aren't a, just a voice for what's happening in the present or a voice for the past or thinking about the future. You can create change, and explaining that and honing that message down to those individuals that are in power artists take something and create alchemy i mean yeah. they they take something that existed and transform it into something new that is the type of thinking that is required to create and sustain change and to the you know that's not the outlier. Like we need to find ways to integrate that thing. That's why I love your point, Yvonne, about you know having a poet because that it's a completely different voice, but it's a necessary voice and a needed voice. And artists can create that that change just as easily. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So, ladies, um, we could talk about this all day. Um, I know we have schedules and things to do. So, you know, let's, since yeah. you guys have been here now, this is your third time now together and then individually, I'll have links to their, to their, to get their uh, group episode last time and their individual episodes. So that means you guys are already done the, you know, the slow as hell, the not so rapid fire questions, the <laughs> slow as hell questions. So since, because you guys are veterans, and this will not be the last time you guys will be on here. Let's we'll do it again. Let's have another check-in. So in, yeah. instead of doing that, let's talk about, you know, some things we, we also really want to make sure that we touch upon, such as, you know, um, as Ivan, you called him Tio Pedro. Let's talk about it. Let's touch on that. <laughs> and then let's talk about De La Soul. Let's talk about true. Like, let's touch upon those things real quick on on our way out. 
Mm. I and the reason I called him Theo Pedro is because I I saw that he he's over the zaddy thing. Like he's, <laughs> he's over, over it. So um I hear you, Pedro. I hear you. So let's talk about Pedro Pascal. Like this, like first of all, I was not new to the um magic exactly. that is Theo Please. Pedro. Um, Been knowing. because obviously as I started out my answer to Ritzy's how you doing, right? <laughs> question. Um, I I referenced Daenerys Targaryen because the first time I encountered Theo Pedro was on Game of Thrones. Looking fine Wait is her book. I, no, I did not know he was on Game of Thrones. Yes. Uh, I got I got to give you the season. Yeah. Um, oh, no. I forgot okay. his character's name. I forget his name. character's name, uh, but... Oh, what, Dorn? Was he like part of that, that Dorn? That's yes. right. Universal. That's right. Okay. That yeah. character, uh, okay, whoever wrote that character, brilliant. Yeah. And then Beth, uh, Theo Pedro. Like, Casting agent, give them an award on point. <laughs> <laughs> every, every moment. I mean, I, I didn't want it to end, mm-hmm. right? I didn't want his character to go away. It was that good. Um, so I've had like this little, you know, magic or, you know, just little thing for Pedro Pascal. Um, but then when he started to go viral, like for whatever reason, right, like Gen Z's love, like started calling him Zaddy and like sharing and like, I'm like, what, what, I want to know what this generation, what, what they're, what are they drinking? Um, but, um, also he's an Aries, you know, I'm into astrology, so He's an Aries and Aries have that charm. Um, Aries have that. I don't know. Um, but they'll they'll pull you in. Uh, per- perfect uh, characteristics for an actor. Um, and he is not cute by any, st- at least my standards. Like I'm like, you are not attractive to me. But there's something about Pedro. That's, that's what I say. There's something about Pedro. I don't know. And then I'm not going to go too much into The Last of Us, but if he does not win an Emmy please, for that please. role next mm-hmm. year. Yeah, so good. And then also Mandalorian, like just his voice. Like we didn't see his voice for yeah. most of that shit. And we're just like, yes. Like, yeah. It, and I don't know if you guys saw it, but I will repost it. A tip top, a TikTok, if you will. It, it's in Spanish. And she's lesbian and she's like, she has a whole presentation. She's like, why I am questioning my homosexuality because of Pedro Pascal. (laughs) She was like, you know, uh, he's like our father figure. Like you might have a father, but he's like our father figure. And then she goes, and the next point was Aries. That's it. That's all I got to say. He's Aries. Because that's, <laughs> that's all you got to say. She's like, that's, that's all I got to say. And she's like, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm I'm a lesbian, but, you know, I don't know. I'm all about Pedro. But but sexuality is fluid when it comes to Pedro Pascal. It is. Let me tell I have, you. Yes. Can you just okay, add into his the mix? Rihanna, his Rihanna thirst <laughs> is what that, got me. Thank so, you, that, Colony. That thank you. snippet on the red carpet. Is that Rihanna yeah. looking at Sweetie? I yeah. was like, oh. So yeah, I, he, Rihanna he is and, everything right now, and, and Prince. Prince saying that's his like favorite perfect work, perfect song. He said was uh, yeah, yeah, yes. But like, like the, the most. most in, so he taught. He's talking about print, like what he grew up on. He grew uh-huh. up on Spielberg. He grew up okay. on um, 
I forgot the other thing he mentioned. Uh, HBO. And he grew up on Prince. And he talks about Purple Rain and that song and how he has to be in a certain mental headspace to listen to the song because it is the most emotionally impact, like emotionally full like wow. beautiful song that he has that that he's ever encountered and he has to be in a particular place to even listen to it. Wow. And I mean, a man that recognizes Rihanna and Prince come with it. Listen. That's quality. Listen. That's quality. Okay. And I hope I a, hope a he, stays, hero. he stays he stays cuz he's getting it. I mean like Mandalorian, top of the game, you know, uh, you know, the, the Last of Us, top of the game, and uh, it's just, and then you know, Mandalorian's back again, and it's just like, I don't want him to fall. I don't want it to. I don't want it to be the, where we're at with Bad Bunny. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I, <laughs> oh, I, I don't want that shit. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I, I want us to keep, stay, keep him here and that he doesn't let us down. Though everyone eventually does. But right now I'm all about it. All, all the content. Like the one I just sent you guys last night where he's going to the Vanity Fair party <laughs> and he's haters. like cutting the line. All the guys. It was like <laughs> that Spider-Man dude and. Oh, everybody's looking at him yes, like yes with like like kind of like what <laughs> like oh but did you deserved, see the deserved. but did you see the little white girl handler <laughs> who was like all like she was aprendida <laughs> like she was all excited like oh i'm yes daddy Pedro. exactly wherever he giddy go and and i just have to say like thank you uncle pedro tio pedro for um saving uh, Narcos, <laughs> saving us from letting the white boy lead in Narcos. Like, thank you so much. Because um, also he was amazing in that show, too. But yes, that video was hilarious. And we love Theo Pedro. What's yeah. up? Uh-huh. Represent. And, and his, his, his like best friend bromance with Oscar Isaac, too. Ugh, it's too much because I love them both and they love each other and there's like all these montages of them together and it's just like mm-hmm, oh my gosh. I see that for sure um love it love it oh, I gotta tell uh-oh. you a story yes. about um Oscar Isaacs I won't tell oh. you here um but oh. it complete it completely I I, I was having dinner <laughs> next sitting next to him and um, I overheard a conversation, but I'll I'll oh, share that shit. with y'all offline. Sorry, folks. The you you don't do that. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> but he is fine. He I is have fine. To say, I'm not really into the white Dinos, but fine. I them too. Yeah, they're fine. Fine. Yeah. Something about yeah. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> um, okay. Next topic. Mm. Um, I don't know how. Y- I know that. Everyone, you know, it was a it was a huge hit and a huge loss. And I think for me, it was I think for us collectively, our generation especially, we just been losing so many of our people. Uh it, you know, hip hop it, it just the 50th anniversary, um yeah. and then to lose what we've been losing every year, multiple people. From from that, and I feel like especially us three here. I just talked about it with uh, two episodes ago with Linda Garcia on how hip hop, you know, especially when we grew up with it, being Latinas, not being 
you know, Mexican enough for the Mexicans and not, you know, being too Mexican for the whites. Hip hop embraced us in a time where we felt alone. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's so important. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's so important for us that here we are now in 2023. It still informs what we do in so many different ways. Mm. It seeps in in everything 100%. that we do. It, we've never been fair mm. weather fans of hip hop. And to lose so many people that are our age or just a little bit older, you know, so young. And so and I'm mm. talking about the the, yeah. the huge loss um, of True Goy uh, from De La Soul. And, and, and let's talk about mm. that. Like, you know, so many things. Mm. Day. So I mean, many. it's wild that we're talking about uh, we're talking about Prince. Now we're talking God. about Dave. God. I mean, that that one was so hard um, for me. I mean, I, I we I think all three of us were texting when we got the yeah. news. Like you know, um, but with Daylaw, I think that as a group, they meant so much to me when I was in high school. Um, I was, I, I always listened to hip hop. Hip hop was always a part of my life, but De La in particular spoke to me in a way that no other hip hop artist could. So I've, it, you know, in high school, I was a senior when Three Feet High and Rising came out. I remember spring break, seeing De La perform at the like MTV spring, spring break MTV would do spring <laughs> oh my gosh yes, yes. that I was wild MTV did, your MTV raps did like a whole thing on um that album and they were performing at that at, at spring break and I remember them um playing I know and hearing that Seely Dan sample <laughs> I sat there and was like, I was just blown away because I was like, okay, how are these three dudes knowing about Steely Dan? And I know about <laughs> Steely Dan. I love that song. And how worlds are colliding yeah. in a really cool way. And, you know, when I was listening to hip hop in high school, I was like I, one of only two black girls mm. that were there. There were no black boys that I was going to school with. So hip hop for me was like my mm. outlet. And when I saw Dayla, I was like, these are dudes that I like dreamt of going to school with <laughs> and being surrounded by and having crushes on. And so that and and the fact that they were just blending all of these sounds and vibes and energies and not playing into, you know, what is expected of you in terms of how you show your blackness. Yeah. They that's what that's why they meant so much to me. And um, I remember um, when De La Soul is Dead came, came out, like just anticipating oh that and play. Yeah. And I remember like playing the tape and hearing Oodles of O's and just like, I just remember just the sound of that. So it's been nice kind of reconnecting with the catalog and it's just been bittersweet yeah. because we all deserve that moment of coming together and celebrating them. And that was taken from them. It was taken from us. And it's just, just so hard. And, you know, I, there's a part of me that I'm just jealous of, you know, 
boomers who get to still listen to the Stones and go to Stones concerts <laughs> and things like yep. that. And I'm just like, where, where, you know, I wanted to be 60 going to a Prince I concert. I wanted yep. to be 65 seeing, you know, De La know. and Black Sheep and Queen Latifah, you know, and we're just. Yeah, totally. It's, it's tough. I can't agree more, uh, Colony, with like how you connect, how and why you connected with oh. Dela. Um, first of all, like, you know, for, for those of us who grew up in major metropolitan areas, whether it was L.A. or the Bay Area, um, we were very lucky to have, you know, whether it was independent or pirate radio kind of hip hop stations. In L.A., we had KDLA. Right. Like that was playing um, hip hop since almost its beginning and certainly focused on a local, a, a local set of artists like NWA and all of those folks. And even like those that bordered, um, you know, hip hop and funk like um, uh, Egyptian Lover. Right. Who well, was making beats <laughs> and, you know, like all of that being played on this one platform was amazing. But when De La Soul came out, I don't know where I saw them. It was probably MTV. It was probably MTV. As someone who um, was straddling communities that were experiencing violence, experiencing many of the things that NWA wow. and other hip-hop artists were talking about. Um, and another world of possibilities, right, through education and, um, you know, just proximate proximity to other possibilities, let's just say. Dela was like the manifestation. Dela was modeling, right, the expansion of my world um, in ways that both resonated and also that I had really no idea um, in ways that were I had no idea were possible. And so um, whether it was aesthetically, whether it was just one of the things I loved most about them, and it makes sense that my best friend is an RBF, um, is because Dela also had this RBF thing going on, right? Like the resting bitch face going on. And I loved that about all of them. Like they weren't emoting all over the damn place. They're, they were, you know, I'm not saying it was performed, but it, you know, there was this contained part of themselves. There was an intellectual, oh, intellectual. part of themselves. There was an aesthetic, right? An aesthetic um, that was both completely unique to them and also reflective of the rave scenes that yeah. were happening, like whatever with the 90s raves. Like y'all don't know raves. <laughs> the 80s raves, like that's where it was at. And they were reflecting that. They were reflecting suburbia in a way that I think some of us kind of knew about mm. and, oh, and, cool. and, and sometimes not at all, right? Um, so all of those things hit me at such a young age and because I would say 99% of the folks I went to high school with were, um, you know, very goth or new wave, like embedded in those communities, 
um, me wanting to go see them at Universal Amphitheater in Studio City <laughs> with my two tickets. Like I had to beg my friend to go with me, right? Yeah, like to yeah. beg her to drive us so that we could go. Um, and so saw them with LL Cool J and I think it was Slick Rick wow. and um, uh, other, I can't remember, there were other acts, right? Because at that time, hip hop concerts were not so like they are today. Day on that ticket. <laughs> I don't remember. Oh, I man, don't okay. remember. <laughs> but um, the artist Mario Ibarra Jr., I think I wrote about this concert on Instagram and That's Mario Ibarra Jr. said, um, hey, I was at that concert. <laughs> Re- remember when LL pulled out his, like he came out on stage with his red uh, his red Corvette or red Porsche and all all of the Crips broke out in a fight. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like, first of all, I didn't know he went to that same concert. Second of all, I had completely Lord, forgotten mercy. about that Crips breakout. Oh like, fight breakout. Anyway, m- memories that will last me a lifetime. And I was there. Uh, I mean, it was great to see the other acts, but I was there for Dela. Yeah. Like, I was uh-huh. there for Dela Soul. Um, they continued, right, to have, like, an enormous impact on me when I went to college. And um, a lot of the friends I I met in college initially, because I would wear that glow-in-the-dark De La Soul (laughs) t-shirt from the concert, like, every day in college. Like, every day. I'm one of my best friends that I'm still friends with today. Always remember... I came up to you and I started talking to you because you had that De La Soul wow. t-shirt on. See, there you go. And those the are good people. Good See. people, right? Mm-hmm. That's a good litmus test yeah. right there. For sure. So RIP and then, you know, the the only small little thing to help us during this, you know, grieving process is the fact, as you mentioned, that their catalog is finally available. And now I get to... You know, the Supernatural Bear, he knows a few songs, but it was, I had to find them on YouTube for him to listen to, you know, because he knows yeah. like, because we're three. So he knows three is the magic number. He knows that and stuff. But now I, oh. I, I'm, I'm so excited because I can like play all of the stuff and introduce, you know, and he because he could be more familiar and he'll like the skits. Yeah. So I, I, forgot, I had forgotten all I forgot about all about the skits and, and I like just, that they're posting yeah, the, you know, the different people talking about their stories and they animated them on the IG and you know mm-hmm. and then like yeah. Bill Hader he's talking about how significant this skit yeah. was and you know just just the how many people they've touched just listening to the the quote-unquote celebrities totally. that are are talking about them and you're just like oh, oh yeah on so many levels you know writing acting skits yeah. the music da, 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 the fashion um it's crazy it's it's, it's crazy. I also want to just yeah no, go ahead. I just also wanted to add in here, you know, that interview on NPR where they had two or three dudes talking about Dela. And I'm like, you know, for the women, I just want to like mm. from a woman's perspective too, um, you know, the intelligence and the inclusion that they brought, not just Dela, but the whole like tribe yeah. and um, Jungle Brothers yeah. and um, Queen Latif. I mean, Queen Latifah Moni was part Love. of that crew. Yeah. Moni Love. Love was part of that crew talking about what she was talking about. Yeah. In that, like, there, that was um, modeling an inclusive hip hop culture, yes. right? They were uh-huh. modeling all of that. And the the lyrics they spoke, I mean, 
the lyrics they wrote, it, it, we were just talking about this colony, like they aged well. Mm. I mean, there's so many pop songs that do not age well. Yeah. <laughs> As a woman, it's hard to right. listen to them nowadays. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but I think also, right, the respect, the inclusion of women, yeah. um, that was something that we had not heard enough of up to that point. And I think it invited um, also, I, I'll just say, right, the aesthetic. I, I, I'm just going to keep on with the aesthetic, not not just the album cover, but the way they dressed. Um, it, it, it wasn't hyper macho, right? It wasn't hyper masculine in a way that was... Um, that felt divisive. It felt connective. Yeah. And and I felt as a woman like that I could be a part of that. Definitely. And yeah. that was powerful Queen for Latif me. Queen Latifah and Moni Love, like they were, they were not just like some sides, you know, pieces. They were up in front and they weren't, you know, objectified or sexualized. Mm-hmm. And, and that mm-hmm. that was another, you know, sign for, for me to be like, yeah, totally. I'm down. I can yeah. be part of this. You know, um, yeah, it was like a an extra cosign because I had been on Queen Latifah's tip from jump. And then to see that it was like a natural progression. And, you know, it's just yeah, man, it's just good. That was the time I was going back through videos and uh, watched um, Queen Latifah perform on Living Color. (laughs) Um, I think it was uh, Latifah's had it had it up to here. It was like at you know, at the outro of In Living Color, oh, yeah, and she yeah. had. I remember when that episode aired, and her backup singers were wearing some black jeans and those these like big oversized express like long sleeve yes. shirts. The room shirts. I had like four of them, <laughs> and that was wearing that. I mean, you know, and I was just like, wow, you know, thinking back on just like going to the clubs and not having to be who you have to be now yeah. in terms of the body like, con dresses, you know, BBLs. Yeah. And, I, we yeah, don't need that. It was just, just like, it was a totally different scene. And yeah, there's everything. I didn't know what I wanted. What, I didn't, I didn't know what line of work I wanted to do or what I wanted to do in college, like in freshman and sophomore year. But I knew that I wanted to be a Queen Latifah backup dancer. Dude, that much. <laughs> a Queen Latifah backup <laughs> that dancer. Much I do. <laughs> or in living color, like dancer, like those were the, a, fly a fly girl. girl. That's all. The, that's yeah. all I wanted to do. That was my goal. Like that was I was gonna move up to. I went to to college in Long Beach, and it was only this far away from LA, and I was about to da 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 da, you know. But I just want y'all to go look at oh. the ladies' first video again, and you're gonna understand what I'm talking about. When you're like, oh, they go like, yes. the, I, I remember I used to know all the dances that they would do, like. It's just so good. So good. And and I so love that. Good. That was the time. Yeah. And I talk about that a lot where everyone had minimum two dancers. Minimum two dancers. Yeah. yeah. Minimum. Yeah. And, and and it was awesome. Like it was great. Um okay, ladies. Well, per. thank you so much for your time. time. This was a blast per usual. I can't wait to hear the story that you guys aren't gonna get to hear, listeners, with Yvonne. Oh, yeah. The uh, the Oscar Isaac story <laughs> in a little bit. But you know, thank you so much. Uh, you know, if there's anything you want to let people know that, you know, you're a part of, that you're doing, uh, where can they find you? Uh, let it rip. Uh, yeah, you can still find me at um, YvonneGallardo.com. Um, I'm still consulting um, in addition to the work I'm focused on now with community partners. 
Um, or you can find me on um, Instagram, Muse1971, or TikTok, waxing on some topic <laughs> at um, Muse, 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 Muse Buhead on TikTok. Yes. Nice. 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 And I am still at Culture Shock Art. I am still freelance writing. So you can find me um, pretty much everywhere. Um, writing for Hyperallergic, Art News, um, here locally in Raleigh for Walter Magazine. Um, so I'm still still out there looking at shows, writing about, about artists. Um, you can still find me. I am one of the few that still remain on Twitter at Culture Shock Art. <laughs> I'll, I'll ride that until the, the wheels fall off, and that's uh, that's happening quickly. <laughs> I think I was telling someone the other day, we're riding on rims at that point. We are riding point. on rims. But, um, Sparks are flying. In the meantime, <laughs> I'm still on Instagram at Culture Shock Art. Um, and, yeah, I just, you know, just keep supporting artists. Artists, keep your head up. Uh-huh. We are here for you. Make yourself yeah. make yourself known any way you can. Sweet. Yeah. Muchísimas gracias, ladies. And now introducing the supernatural bear corner. Supernatural bear. This song. Goes out to all the people who love yams. Hit it! Can I get to the yams? Sweet yams. Show me the way. Cause I got bills to pay. Do. Should we do? Yeah. There you have it, folks. Episode 124 with the ladies, the arts and culture ladies. Yes, good timers and very informative. You know, um, it's one thing to discuss uh, topics and it's another to have people that not only talk the talk, but walk the walk, if you know what I'm spraying. So. Which is my glasses to to the ladies, and that's that won't be the last time. That might be the third time, but it won't be the last time that they are here. I feel that they're always on uh, the pulse, you know, being black and brown women that continue to really be about the artists, um, you know. And, and 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 share information they don't gatekeep and and are really advocates so uh, i'm super honored and to say that they're my friends um and that you know i i can count on them to to come on here and keep it 100 percent real and then for the Supernatural Bear Corner, as I stated in the beginning, he took a break. He took a little break. And I decided, let's put in a fan favorite. And um, so we're looking right now to see what our next cover is going to be. I think we have something in mind, um, something that uh, we've encountered recently. And we'll keep you posted on that. And, you know, you know all the things. Muchísimas gracias for all the support. 
We are making different moves this year and bigger moves. So please support. Please write those reviews. It's old school. Give us some five stars. But it really, really helps to to get our um, podcasts out to the people. And let's remember, once a month we got relatives. That's me, me, a Mexican girl, and Naisha, a black girl, raised two exits away from the border in San Diego and became and became, you know, we relatives. And so that's very um uh therapeutic <laughs> to to have those conversations. And then once a month we also have the nerd out. That's me and TI, Lisa B. Jenkins. We've had and she's white. We've had a show forever, but before it was a hobby and now, you know, we're taking it to uh, to more people having it here on on the word on word to your mama. And we just talk about anything that we nerd out on. You know what I'm saying? Because you don't got to be a nerd to nerd out, especially now that we have all this information at our fingertips. So we talk about that. So next month's episode is going to be how the TFCon, uh, the Supernatural Bear meeting, the the legendary uh, Mr. Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime from Transformers, how that went. So we'll have a recap of that uh, for the next nerd out for sure. So and then, um, you know, buy something from the store if, if you please. And then, uh, you know, there's the become a patron or you can buy us a whiskey via buy us a coffee. And uh, yeah, email us hola at word to your mama dot com. Let us know how we're doing. Who do you want to see? What what are you tired of? Are you tired of all the ums? That's a little tough, guys. I'm doing my best. Uh, but yeah, so we'll, you know, see you next time. And as always, we reap. Word to Your Mama is owned and produced by Ritz P. Intro Beat, produced by Nico Beats. If you want to know more, you want to email us, you want to get the media kit, go head over to wordtoyourmama.com. Word to Your Mama is now part of the Latina Podcasters Network. And as always, Word to Your Mama is brought to you by ritzperiwinkle.com.